Welcome to the Mixed and Alliance podcast, where we talk about being mixed, military, and moving on. So today's guest host, I've known since he was probably seventh grade, so it's been a couple of decades. Um, but Co, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, Co, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and then also like what your racial and ethnic background is, how do you self-identify, um, any interests, hobbies, career, whatever you want to say. All right, so I'll start off. Uh, my name is Ko. Uh, last name is Arms, Japanese and Black American. Born and raised in Okinawa, Japan. I was born in Naha City. Shout out Naha City. <laughs> raised in Camp Kinzer. Uh, my father was a Marine. And then, uh, so white American is my stepfather. He raised me. So that's a different, maybe a different podcast. But uh, my father's <laughs> Black American. Uh, my mother's from Okinawa or Miyako Island, actually. And then we grew up in Okinawa. Um, I identify as mixed race, Japanese and Black. And uh, I guess right now, most interesting thing about me is I'm a dad. Super, super, super uh, involved. Super duper uh, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. They're all girls, all the girls. And then we do homeschool. So, oh, wow. Did homeschool last two summers ago, pre COVID. And then we tried it out. And then, okay, now you guys need to go to public school. And then we'll just focus on this one. But it's just kind of hard and trying to do it like an online business or not online, but at home business. Mm-hmm. And then so um, and the business is photography. So I, I've been doing that for the last what, five years. Um, and it's been uh, been interesting. Yeah. yeah, I've seen some of your pictures. You take great pictures. And yeah, you're not just any dad. You're a girl dad. So how <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Yeah. So your, I didn't realize your mom was from um, Miyako Island. What made her go yeah. to the main island? So she, I mean, so a small island, right? And then so like just, oh, more opportunity, I guess. Um, my grandmother's there now. Um, my mom is actually here. She moved, she's moving to help us with oh. all those things that I just mentioned. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, and she does uh, remote working right now. So like she still has obligations, but then like, so like after the podcast, we have gymnastics, school pickup, and we take the kids to the school across town, which is like an hour drive. Oh my gosh. Like 40 minutes every morning. And it, it's, just, it's just a lot. So, uh, but yeah, Miyako Island, small, small island farm, um, fishing. And then Okinawa is like an international hub. But yeah, so she moved there just to, we have family on both spots, but she was born and raised in uh, Miyako for the most part. Have you ever gone to that island? Yeah, we just spend summers there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. We used to spend summers there, so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully next time, that's something Karen and I were talking about, like doing some um, island hopping if yeah. we ever get back to Okinawa, because yeah. they have the ferries and then Fairy, some of the ferries. Yeah, bridges. Miyaki, and then all of, we go down, and then one time we took, um, we went from Okinawa to Miyako, and then we went the ferry. They felt like a cruise, because you can get like different, you can just get like the overnight, we did overnight. If you do the ferry, it's overnight. You sleep on this open floor oh or you can get, like, the bungalows or whatever it is or uh, the cabins so normally if you go overnight to miyako it's just like you, you wake up and you're there so we slept on the open floor the tatami they have like tatami area and everyone's sleeping and then so um uh, we went from one the best trip but like a cruise we got these cabins it was like first class i guess mm-hmm. and then we went from okinawa to miyako all the way down to the, all the islands ishigaki got off a little bit and we went all the way up to tokyo so that was really nice Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's like a big old cruise. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. 
That's one beautiful thing about Okinawa. I mean, out of the many beautiful things of Okinawa are the smaller islands that like, because it's just a group of islands and oh, the tropics. (laughs) I miss it. (laughs) All right. So let's get started, I guess. So you said you're a Marine Corps brat. So um, and you only lived in Okinawa, right? And then moved to the States when you were a teenager. And that's basically kind of sort of initially. So we moved. I first came to the States. It was uh, I was four years old. And then okay. so I got the green card. Um, and then we moved to, we stayed in, um, what was it, Virginia Beach. And then for a year, then my dad became a recruiter and his family's from Michigan. So then he spent some years in Michigan, like two or three years in Michigan. Then we went back to Okinawa. And then from like fourth grade to 10th grade, we were okay. in Okinawa. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, what was your favorite aspect about growing up in the military? I uh, just think like looking back on it, uh, the variety, just like the variety of just just the friendships and the cultures and like just in the one block radius, you would just have people from all over the place and all over the world, basically. So, yeah, yeah, it was, that, that was fun. That was the most. My, my highlight growing up. Yeah. Um, what about your favorite thing about growing up in Okinawa? Because that's pretty unique in itself. Yeah, I just think like so I grew up I grew up in the southern part. Naha City was where the, my family was. And then, well, my mom's side, and then um, we grew up on Camp Kinzer. And Camp mm-hmm. Kinzer is located on the beach. So, like, my elementary school was on the beach. Um, the gym was on the beach. The pool was on the beach. It's just like, it, it was beach. That, that's the most <laughs> epic. The sun sets, the sun rises. When the typhoons would come, you could see the waves crashing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Extremely tropical, beautiful water. Um, island, island style for sure. It's the island life, yeah. And then Kinzer is on the East China Sea side. So that was the sunsetting side, right? Yeah, epic. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember my um bedroom window at the Foster Towers. I faced the uh, um, sunset beach. So I faced that side. And I would just, yeah, if I was home during sunset, I would just like sit there yeah. and watch the sun setting or even go on the balcony. Or I mean, right. it was close enough to walk. I could even walk to Sunset Beach once in a while just to see the sun setting. It was amazing. Yeah, or tsunami. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The food is the food too. I think the food and the uh, just just the ocean, just the just the beach and the ocean. And what's great too, I think, with the food, something I remember Karen too, like the little um, like bento stands that are just on the side of the street. (laughs) And last time we went, I didn't see as many, but um, like when we lived there, I remember there were just like right outside of our gate too, from Foster Towers, there was that little like bento stand. And it was just such authentic, good and expensive right. food and oh, making me hungry. <laughs> and then, of course, the beach. Yes. Like I said, the tropics. So. Um, all right. So then when you moved as a teenager, I mean, there's a lot of change when you move internationally. There's language, language, there's culture, um, expectations, schooling, everything. So, I mean, you were raised essentially with that dual Japanese or Okinawan and American, and you lived on Camp Kinzer, which was what Navy Marine Corps base. Um, But still like living on Okinawa as, you know, someone growing up as an American or with Americans, you're surrounded like really close to, and then moving to the United States. Tell me about like that change. Like, how did you feel when you moved? What were some of the difficulties or struggles that you had? I think the biggest, just looking back, I think one was, so the regional um, identification, like especially with collegiate, uh, mm-hmm. like so the NCAAs right now, everyone has like a home team or if you're, 
I'm in South Carolina, I'm Myrtle Beach right now, and then there's a split between uh, Clemson and USC. And then, mm-hmm. so I didn't really, ha- I didn't understand that. I was like, uh, people say, oh, where are you from? I'm like, uh, here. <laughs> like, That's the question, yeah. right? With military yeah, yeah. threats. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, oh, Michigan. But I wasn't really from Michigan, so I didn't really have identification. But I did definitely have, like, in those days, the starter jackets were all Michigan. And it was a bad vibe. So, like, I just gravitated towards that because it was a popular thing. And I just so happened to have family in Michigan. But not knowing, like, how strong that 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 was uh, ingrained into American culture. Mm-hmm. Um was was interesting and like so being a huge michael jordan fan i didn't know that north carolina the tar heel jordan i didn't know all those that that those stories until i got to the state i was like oh i just know jordan from what i saw on like vhs tapes or what my friends brought or what was on tv but so that that identification was one um and then just the just the narrow-mindedness of culture i, mm-hmm. I went to north carolina and North Carolina is pretty, <laughs> well, not all of North Carolina, but Jacksonville, North Carolina, rural area. It's a military town, but then the military, the schools, I was in a, I was on an off-base school for the first time. That was completely different. We had some kids that I knew from um, Kubasaki. So that was nice okay. to see. And kids that I knew from elementary school. So uh, I got to graduate with kids that I went to elementary school with. But just the culture, it was mainly what I, what I felt was, either black or white. And if you're a brown, it was like, oh, Mexican or Hawaiian. I'm like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> but yeah, just those those elements were culture and then just the, uh, I guess, culture overall. Different elements um, of culture. Well, and then talking about the schools, how was the schooling, the public school different? Like, what were some of the changes with that? And what were some of the things that you had to, I guess, acclimate or figure out? Um, I almost graduated because I hated the school. I had enough credits to graduate my junior year and I really, I hated it. It was, it was terrible. I was like, Oh, this, this is not my, like when I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to the States. And then like the big, the lights and this and that and the other, I got there. It was like rural. I was like, there's no lights. There's no city. This is terrible. <laughs> and the schools, um, the schools. I'll speak. So academically it was fine, I guess. Um, but I was introduced to the, the politics. So I played football and basketball, but I remember coming, I was a new guy and my parents weren't like really advocates. Like, so some kids, parents were like, they're in there and like, why don't you play Johnny or whatever it is. They're just like, just go and whatever happens, happens. But I was, I was pretty good. Right. But Mm -hmm. then like I I got there and then I was, I didn't play my junior year because of the politics. Like someone says dad was a couple of spots I could have shorted, but then like this guy's dad was a uh, friend with the coach and those type of things. I never was into, I, I just never was exposed to it. So that was interesting to see. And then just the racial, just a lot of racial, there's a lot of racial stuff, especially in, I guess in the South specifically mm-hmm. but in the school, it was uh, a lot of social economic discrimination, kind of sort of soft, but then just, and then um, the racism, but the school was fine. The school was fine. How were the sports in Okie now? Because I mean, I was a cheerleader, but um, like you were mentioning how like in the public school in North Carolina, yeah, like if you it's who you knew yeah, and yeah. like growing up and stuff. Was it like like in with the military schools or something? Was there ever issues with like um, like I don't remember there being issues, but like, you know how we always talk about like dad's ranks and like yeah, yeah. depending yeah. on outranking or anything like that. Like, did you ever experience or see any of that? 
No, it was always whoever got the talent. Whoever, if you were talented, it was, oh, come here. Like it was, and I always got, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but it was like, okay, I played up <laughs> sports. So it was like, I was used to being like, okay, I know I'm good because I play with older kids and I've been doing that for my whole life, basically. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, he's not even that good. Or, and then so I realized, okay, that's why, because it's, oh, okay, so now I understand it. But like in Okinawa or just in the military culture, I don't think you have that really because it's just the turnover is so high. Yeah. yeah, it's not like good. Kids are always coming in and out. And then I feel like, too, we didn't have as I mean, there was always what, like football, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Did Kubasaki have a soccer team? We did. Yeah, right? team. Yeah, they had a, <laughs> yeah, no, because I played soccer. Soccer was my first sport. And I remember, like, I didn't play football until um, high school. But I always threw it. I mean, I could throw and do those type, type of thing. But organized football, I didn't mm-hmm. put on pads until I was like a teenager. And it was like, OK, well, this is cool. But then I realized coming to the state, just watching Eli actually grow up, I'm like, this kid's playing football, like at yeah. whatever, eight, six, eight or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> different, different, totally, totally different. So it is. And then I think when you're in the States, when you're not moving around, at least like you have that, the consistency to be able to grow in that same program. And so yeah. then, you know, yeah, like everybody starts to know the coaches know the kids and then yeah. the kids the parents know the coaches and then they start wanting to, I guess, stay on the same teams. And I think growing up in the military. Yeah. 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 I didn't even know about that either. Like just like AAU organized camps and like exposure camps. I coach, I coach now, but it was like, okay, well, some of the stuff is still eye opening. It's like, wow. Like I didn't even know the stuff existed. Like this is really thorough. Like I, like for me to even think of like, I could even play at a professional level when I was younger. Mm-hmm. impossible like I grew up totally I wasn't even in the system <laughs> I wasn't even registered <laughs> so yeah that's a lot a lot of differences but uh definitely didn't I didn't we had I remember one soccer team we had the company commander's daughter mm-hmm. but I mean he was the highest ranking guy on the base but I mean she didn't get special treatment she was good but it wasn't she didn't get more playing time because but uh right because yeah and then that's interesting sports in the, the, the department of defense, like the schools, I guess that's something I can, I think I might look into later. Like, yeah, like the college scholarships for sports yeah. and then, yeah. yeah, like, I guess making a path to go farther than high school sports. Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible. I think we had one guy that I could think of back there, Jamel Smith. I think he was in maybe around your class, um, Jamal or Jamel Smith. And like, but they're like, he want he got some one high level D one scholarship I think it was okay like so many players that are like there's there's talent but just because of the turnaround like there's no there was no program really to to funnel kids but um, yeah that's 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 interesting because that's something I've been really researching like just oh yeah being, being at Coastal coaching like one of my friends that I met at Coastal Carolina University was like a local hometown hero like just being is hearing his story growing up, I was like, oh my God, like, there's no way. Like, I, if I would have been able to, to experience some of that, like, they had pads like Eli when they mm-hmm. were a kid. Like, I didn't put on pads until I was a teenager. So there's like a huge gap of just uh, familiarity. But uh, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a whole different realm there. Or even, yeah, like getting recruited and recruited. like stats like, and everything. Uh, like, yeah, yeah like that's. That's an interest. We'll have to pin that for yeah, yeah. <laughs> another. Even the stat, just real quick. Sorry. Just like, just, I had oh. to make my own highlight tape. 
but I didn't have any highlights. I was like, okay, who do I, okay. I don't know anybody who has my tapes from Japan. So like yeah. I had one or two clips. I was like, okay, you're not going to get anything with one or two clips or, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, because definitely. I, the turnaround is so much. So they probably don't like, there's not a concentration on growing that, you know, uh, it's yeah. all about in the moment in that year and what's going on that year. Cause you don't know who's going to be back next year. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, let's get started talking about the other stuff again. <laughs> um, so how did you self-identify, I guess, before like growing up when you were younger in Okinawa? And then did that change um, like how you self-identified racially or ethnically? How did that change when you moved to the States or did it change? Yeah, I just growing up in Okinawa and it really wasn't uh, a thing. I didn't really I just it was Okinawa. I grew up in Okinawa. I, I mean, I would go off base and then you're darker and then like or Miyako Island. Like just OK, but like so. I just thought I wasn't a normal kid, but then I would hear people in the store and say stuff, but uh, it really didn't bother me. But then I felt like I didn't really get a strong identification until I got to the States mm-hmm. where I was like super challenged and like just, um, just challenged for like who I was. So how were you challenged? Explain um, that a little bit. Challenged in the sense, okay, so growing up in Okinawa where everyone's mixed and there's just a lot of diversity. It was common to say, where are you from? Or what are, you, what are your parents? Or what's your ethnicity? Those type of things. And it was like a soft question. It was, it was, it was an open question. It was nice. It was like a friendly question. Mm-hmm. In the stage, right. when I was like, oh, you're not from here. Or you di- okay, you're definitely, you're right. I'm not from here. But where I'm from, this is how we get down. So I had to like just really assert myself. And then like, okay, like really, uh, take pride in my mixed culture and represent like I flew my flag proudly like this is who I am I'm Japanese and black and this is how I draw this is how I score on tests this is how I write this is how I speak this is how I play sports mm-hmm. and then there were times where this is how I fight <laughs> so but so that was, it was definitely uh, what's that man <laughs> definitely um definitely aggressive in the states I apologize. I think my oh, daughter fine. opened her door. So my dogs are barking. If <laughs> you can hear that. Yeah. I think that question of like, um, I guess, quote unquote, what are you and yeah. where are you from? And you know, what's your race or ethnicity? I think um, that tone and I guess the situation, yeah, we become, um, especially for military brats and mixed race people, I think we can become defensive when that question's asked because I ask that question a lot yeah. to people, but I'm not asking, I don't feel like I'm asking and I hope my tone doesn't come across as being rude where I'm like, um, I guess, judgmental in a sense. Yeah, there you go, but- yeah, I'm asking more out of um, curiosity and then commonality. And because a lot of times, yeah, it, like if I met somebody and I wasn't sure, I'd be like, oh, are you, you know, Japanese or are you mixed or something? Because I'm asking to start a conversation with them. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm half Japanese or I'm half Asian or I'm this and that. And um, it starts that friendly conversation. But I do feel that once we got out of that military lifestyle, where there's so many interracial families and so there's so many mixed race people and we're kind of like having fun with that um once you get out of that and it's so segregated and not as like diverse where people aren't as comfortable with that interracial relationships and families and atmosphere I think that um or intercultural and ethnic I think that it becomes more 
judgmental, I guess, and we become more defensive in how it's being asked and why it's being asked. Because it's like when you ask, what are you? It's like, well, okay, what are you trying to get at? I don't know. <laughs> like, so dating, um, if you like, so being black is really like offensive. It can be offensive. It's like, okay, well, oh, I didn't know you were black. Like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> you asked me. So, like, That's they so to weird. Care. And then there was a different response. Okay, well, I thought you were this. And then if the parents ask, it, it just becomes like there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, what's the word? Agenda, a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a, it's just a harsh, just a, the judgmental, all that type of stuff. So, um, and all negative, but yeah. That's interesting. Well, I mean, did you like, I guess, yeah, with dating in the South and then getting out of the military as you were getting older, like, how did you deal with all of that? Like, because I guess you are multifacial. I mean, I know you, I've known yeah. you for many years and I know like what your racial background is, I guess. So when I see you, like I see the Okinawan yeah, features yeah. in you and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, I guess like going to a place like the deep South, like it can be a struggle. So how did you deal with like the dating? And um, it was difficult. Like there, I, I tried, I guess you have to adapt. And initially, like the, the one of the first girls that I dated in North Carolina, that, that, that was the harsh reality. That was like a wake up call. And um, because I was black, half black. And then um, and at that it was my senior, I think it was. And then I was playing sports. I was pretty popular, had good grades. Nothing. I wasn't like a troublemaker or anything. But then like their family was white or American in the South. And then there was a social economic divide there and like, oh, what neighborhood do you live in? These are questions I never even heard before. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then, oh, you're black. Okay. And then, oh, you're Buddhist. And then there was like, check, just no, 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 no. So I just took it. Okay. We don't have to be together. We don't have to do this. Like, that's fine. We can still be friends, but and that's just my stance on it. It was just like, well, if it's, there's so many categories and if you're not going to accept me, there's mm-hmm. some, lots of other people we don't have to go that route. So I just, I mean, there was definitely a, a, a filtering or just a, well, no, it has to be a filter. Cause if you're in the South, you know, there's going to be, well, that girl's cute. There's only certain, there's only, you can only take it so far in most respects. I think from my experience, mm-hmm. there's obviously people, Oh, we're not racist, but then you bring home somebody that's different color, different, different race or different religion. It becomes awkward. So I experienced that a couple of times and I just, I accepted it. And I understand it. So that's fine. You get through it. Yeah. So, um, so with that, I guess, like, how do you think those expectations about you, like, or perceptions about you changed when people found out what your racial and ethnic background was when they were, I guess, confused or questioning it? Do you feel like their attitudes changed and, um, or their expectations of how you did in sports or in academics or work or anything like that? I think I just it was a turnoff. It was def- for them. It was it was not accepting it was the fact that okay, he's there are certain categories we're willing to accept, and the race he's half black. Nope, or he's Buddhist. Nope, or whatever whatever that is. It's unfortunate, but yeah. I mean, I think they had they were looking for reasons. Once they see color, excuse their perception or their acceptance. 
And then so no matter what I did, that's fine because like I said, I if I if it was the first time that I, I needed, if I needed some, I didn't lack confidence. So I didn't I didn't need someone to give me an opinion or their validation. It was like, okay, well, that's fine because if no one's gonna boost me, my mother's gonna boost me, my friends boost me. I just met you. So mm-hmm. I, I really don't need you in my life, which is fine. So, um, and then just the faith I had in myself, I pray every day and I just have a, it doesn't say anything about, I just don't need those opinions. So it's, it, there's been times where in, in, in the past where it's been violent. And that's just like, I think it's more of like a, I don't know what that is. It's dangerous, but there's been violence too. I don't think we want to talk about that, but um, just the dating, um, there's always been, it, we've never taken it past, oh, you're black or you're Buddhist. Once, the, once those elements are introduced and there's friction, then I just, okay, we don't need to, we don't need to push this any further because the outcome is going to be negative. And then unless we're getting married, mm-hmm. there's no reason to try to go against the grain, so to speak. That's how I felt. So you, so being Buddhist in North Carolina, like I can't imagine there's a huge Buddhist community. Like what yeah. is the Buddhist community like in North Carolina? <laughs> well, because the Jacksonville, the Marines. Okay. It was pretty strong. It was, um, it was a familiarity because I moved there and it was okay. So I knew some kids and there were, there's always going to be Japanese and white, Japanese and black. You go like, so we have like the Buddhist meetings or gathering, or, like going to church, so to speak. And then you mm-hmm. see, you see yourself. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So-and-so's mom. Korean and black, oh, Japanese and white, and like just military families, and then like the old Japanese lady with the military dad, husband, right? So this, it was a, a strong, I would say pretty strong, um, not a mega church strong, but like, mm-hmm. or like a Buddhist community for, on an international level, a um, hundred people at, at like uh, gatherings. Okay. Common. And then they had like Raleigh, where Raleigh was more diverse, and they had like a, it was like a cultural uh on like first sundays would have like meetings in in raleigh and then so that was like a stronger presence but uh are they mostly military families no not in raleigh raleigh is just diverse okay i think from uh, they pull from the uh all the schools there duke carolina hope peace meredith all the just all the all the universities there so i think that that helps with the diversity, but in Jacksonville, definitely all military. How do you think um, that did that Buddhist, like you said, you looked into like yourself, yeah, your mom can lift you up, you're Buddhist. How did that community, I guess, help you deal with those other changes and some of the struggles that maybe you had with fitting in or coming into the stateside, getting out of that military community? It just gave me a sense of uh, just um, a familiarity, like just being able to, okay, so like these are the same kind of faces that I saw on base or in Japan, and we're doing the same things. So just being able to go there and be amongst your people, I guess, mm-hmm. and, uh, being around Asian women is always like settling for me. Like, oh, I, I can see my mom and Asian women. And then so like, if I see a mixed family, okay, I see myself in that family. So it just gave me a sense of belonging and just like ease. So, and then my faith is just uh, unshakable faith I have. <laughs> yeah, you know, unshakable faith. So, <laughs> I, 
through like it doesn't matter what i go through so if i need to pray it up i'm gonna pray it up and then once i'm out of once i pray it up once i'm prayed up it's just full power so it doesn't matter what doesn't matter that's great well like karen said you're like a self-help book like a walking <laughs> self-help book <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing like, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's I great it, yeah. though yeah. i mean because a lot of people don't have that like i honestly i don't have that like faith in spirit like i feel like i'm a spiritual person i'm not necessarily a religious okay. person but i'm definitely yeah. a spiritual person um but i do like wish i had I guess more faith that um that I was more like I could depend on that more and that yeah. and maybe if I tried harder I could but no yeah. I think that that's great that you do have that and that like you said it's unshakable and that's yeah. amazing. I get that from my mother and my like my mother's side like she's that way my grandmother's that way and like just seeing that's just that, that was like a tradition so like having those values that that's, that's a tradition faith is a tradition like from mm -hmm. my mother's side. But like just having that and no matter like I've been to war and like that's what got me through was okay I'm gonna go back and I was overseas and I'm like I want to live that American dream and then so but I have to fight for it so I did and then like every single day I prayed every nonstop I prayed she prayed they prayed so without that I definitely wouldn't be who I am but yeah and I think for uh, like for me growing up like um like we're Catholic so we were raised Catholic we were baptized Catholic um, but as my, you know, when my dad got higher up in rank, he was TDY a lot. He left a lot. He'd be gone for a couple of weeks, come home for a few weeks. So my mom with four or five kids, like it was difficult to get around, especially when we lived in like England or something and she didn't like driving over there. But um, no, so it was difficult. And then the, I think the, I guess the more Buddhist tradition, like it was more tradition and less yeah. religion. And um, cause I think even she like some. And, and it's not necessarily like differentiating between what is tradition in that culture and what is the religious aspect of it, because it's sort of like, I feel like in Okinawa or something, it, it sort of like blends together, right? Like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just ingrained in the culture yeah. and those traditions. And so those spiritual and cause so, cause there are things like within that, that I definitely believe in that I grew up with. And um, yeah. yeah, so I think as an adult, I don't know, sometimes I don't know which one like is, it, and I guess it doesn't matter. As long as no, no, because like so I came to the States. So the first girl that um uh the racist mm -hmm. conversation I had with the parents, they were super so my the equivalent of my Buddhist faith, she was as a Christian. Okay. And so like there was a conflict there because even my mom growing up was like, Oh, we don't, you know, she doesn't accept that. But I was like, Well, I can, I'm open to it because I'm mixed, right? So right. there's like so I understand there's a duality. And then so like she was the first person I met as a child or as a young person that had that type of faith. And then so we would, I think that was like, I mean, she was cute. And then personality <laughs> too, but then like her faith was like, we had that as a commonality and we kind of explored that back and forth. And like, she kind of like opened my eyes into like, actually I developed a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> Seriously. So like, I converted. I just like in my twenties. I mean, I went like uh, I was nineteen. I was living on my own, and then she was like, "Well, is it, I think you should convert now." Like Jesus is calling. Like just and they oh, had wow. a, they had more um, economic status, and she was going to a Christian uh, college in Texas, and she had flown home, and they had cars and this and that and the other. And I was like poor, 
living on my own. She's like, well, if you come to Jesus, all these type of things. I was like, well, I'll try it, whatever. So um, I remember making the decision. I was like, well, if I do that, like, I'm gonna, I, I, can't, I can't do both right mm-hmm. now. And then so I did. And I got saved. And then like, I was 19 years old. And I went like on a three-year, three years celibacy. 19 like 22 i'm like looking back i'm like oh my god how did i do that but like (laughs) it was it was intense so like i I went all in so but uh just to the fact because you said you you know i think spiritually like it's just there's there's a higher power Mm -hmm. right so i I think that's where it comes down to like there's no i don't i don't as long as you believe in something or you if you don't believe and if you ask with your heart yeah i think it's it comes yeah so you were talking about how you went to war. So you were active duty. You were army, right? Yeah. yeah. So I guess let's um, talk about that before we like end and how, um, I guess, how was it different? Like being active duty versus, I guess, growing up. I mean, Marine Corps and army, I'm sure quite different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why did you join the army instead of maybe the, cause a lot of people will join whatever service their parent was in. So what made you cho- choose army? Army was like the last second thing. I was going to join the Air Force. I okay. was in college, and then like um, I was struggling. I was I so I went from North Carolina, and then my parents moved. They stayed. We stayed in North Carolina just so I can finish my senior year. And then my dad had already retired and was like getting everything prepared in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated, we were gone, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is worse." Michigan was worse than North Carolina. I was like, "Well, I'm I'm an adult now. I'm gonna go back down there." um but so how hold on how was it worse what did you not like about or how was that different okay so my stepdad is white okay yeah he moved there and he was raised in like this rural area where there was nothing going on this this farmland Mm -hmm. so culturally it's just one culture white culture people from canada and that's it so like i'm walking around like what are you doing here, buddy? Like, you don't belong here, buddy. Like, who are your people? What are you doing here? So, like, definitely wasn't my space. Um, but I went to the community college there in Flint, Michigan, and mm-hmm. then tried it. I was like, you know, I just got to make a move. So I did all of the testing and everything to join the, uh, the Air Force. And I was going to do video production. And the guy, the recruiter, tried to snake me around. He's like, oh, we don't have that. It's not open. I was like, well, I'll wait. I'm in school. I'll just wait. It's fine. And then so he, one thing led to another. I was like, I'm done with this guy. And then the army guy said, like, hey, come on in here, buddy. I went in there and they had a two-year program for the army, a two-year program. I was like, okay, two years. They're like, oh, you scored high enough. You can get these jobs and we'll give you 2,500 bucks. I was like, 2,500 bucks? I was I like, got oh, you. I was like, oh <laughs> So that's how I joined the army. It was a two-year program. Like, oh, okay. my gosh. And the, and the cash, which I was like, which is nothing. But I was like, oh, 2,500 bucks? And I got college money too, though. So that was the main objective so i chose the <laughs> army and to go to get the cash and the, and the to get all the benefits i had to be there was like a, a combat arms section i was mm-hmm. like oh, cool. so i do tanks and then this was like right before 9 11 like the summer the spring before 9 11 so yeah yeah so um well so how was it different then so i guess like perceptions of you expectations of you how do you think that was different um, being active duty, or how was it different? Like being active duty, being stateside, being um, a military brat, 
because I mean, military brat, we're in that military community, but it's it's different. And then yeah. going to active duty and yeah, you were I mean, you were a single man and you were in combat. So how was all how do you think some of your the perceptions or judgments about you? Um, how do you think that was? I think it's pretty open because once you get that uniform on, it just becomes like. You can distinguish yourself through your actions. Mm-hmm. And that's what like from the very beginning like we went to basic training it was a four-month program i was with men for four months like it was intense and it was like a lot of a lot of fighting a lot of like i'm the man from where i come from and there was like mexican and black everybody from america and then so everybody was the man and like that's where i realized who i was i was like i think i know who i am but like i'm going into this i want to be the best version of myself and then so i over prepared my mind for so I got there. I was like, "This is it." The time length was the like the biggest struggle because we we were in barracks around men for four months. It was, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of fighting, a lot of alpha male type of stuff. But I realized, like, I was I I got the certification during those four months that okay, I am this. I'm here. So whatever I felt like I was, it's been proven amongst these guys these men at least in these hundreds of men i'm top tier so like i got the uniform on i went to forehead texas it didn't matter what color you were where you're from as long as your uniform is nice and put together and mm-hmm. you follow the standards which i did you'll climb up the, the ranks but then i got there our captain was like this i remember he was a white freckle face guy with red hair he was nice at first because he saw my stats he's okay um i just observed okay there was like this cultural thing like okay the guys that are he's lenient towards just happen to be white i was like oh man and like it got into a space where i felt i didn't get promoted as fast as i should i felt like mm-hmm. and, I, and i protested um long story short it came back company commander switched and the world righted itself. That was back to where I felt like I was supposed to. So, I mean, I think race is still an issue in certain, because this is a culture. So like each company has platoons are broken down. So mm-hmm. whoever the leader is, it reflects their leadership and their values, so to speak, in a smaller scale. Yeah. That, but yeah, but overall, there are standards. And if you put that uniform on and you uphold and you deliver, I think it's undisputable evidence that, okay, this guy right here deserves to be this but there's always politics and everything I learned so so in boot camp when you were saying like too there was a lot of fighting and then how like the <laughs> leaders like and you were observing so was it like that in boot camp or was boot camp more about like who's the biggest alpha male who's the biggest macho <laughs> yeah I just I mean it, there were there was I think they strip you down in boot camp they just strip you down so it's like to build you up right to build you up it's like, okay and then nothing and then so like it depends on each person's mindset or what they want to do i've seen like i've seen people break completely and it's like oh wow so no matter what color you are but if you're if you're a grown man on the floor crying it's because we're doing exercises everyone's going to lose respect for you so like you're immediately oh yeah no okay <laughs> can't respect you no matter what uniform you put on or whatever whatever you say or where you're from or what you did you just saw that so like this those elements just it was more about uh i guess heart in boot camp like, okay like how smart is this guy how fast is he 
just like your natural abilities and stuff and gifts, I guess, and how mentally strong you were. So yeah. Yeah. What about when you were overseas and um in the area of conflict? Was there any issues there? Was it more there are more important things than the group you're hanging out with or what race or ethnicity or where you're from? Like that's another thing too. Like I guess where you're from. Where you from? Yeah. I think by that point it was there was uh all that stuff was kind of put to the wayside because it's like life or death now. And it's like we if you didn't resolve those issues before you left, mm-hmm. you shouldn't even be over there. But like now you're over there, yeah, it's life or death. So I think it was more about mental toughness over there. Cause I seen people break there too. Like a lot of people broke, just not just being away from the family. And I was single, but just I couldn't imagine like having a family, your kids, and we didn't get mail for like maybe two months. And you didn't speak to people for two months. Yeah. Like, so, like, just talking on the phone and seeing them, and all of a sudden, like, you, you're people are dying, and then you don't have anyone to speak to. And then, but uh, I think in conflict, I think it's more you have a narrow focus, and then you're just more focused on surviving. So, if, yeah. you, if you have time to think about those things, you just need to <laughs> you need to hang it up and retire or something. But yeah. Yeah, there's more important things to deal with. Um, What about when you came back then after you got out of the army? And then what was that like? You said you joined the reserves or something, right? Yeah, yeah, I came to Coastal. And then so I knocked my front teeth out in in the combat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So like. Did you really? How did that happen? Random. Like the first. So we were at. uh, One was recreational. Right. We were just hanging out. We like so we took over this airfield and then we we, uh, took over a hangar and made it our like our home base, I guess. And then, so there were our unit, we all knew each other and they were like the ground unit. We we're on tanks and they had like the um, infantry. These guys were hardcore. They were sleeping, like they did dug holes in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm not that hardcore. I don't, I don't even want to be that <laughs> hey, don't, come on. So we were playing football against them, like on the concrete cement and I were two hand, I forgot what happened. I stutter stepped and I tripped and then stacked <sighs> my tooth. I was like, oh my God. So I got it fixed by some dentist there but it, oh my god we're driving around we're trying to find tents we found some tent oh come on in and the guy like he didn't take any pride in his work he, he, i don't know why he was even he just he just put it on there it was like a band like, just put something in there it was like half my tooth i was like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> terrible but like, i couldn't complain because people were getting wounded and losing limbs i was like okay this is just like a humble pie eat it whatever then like a month later or a week a couple weeks short time span later i had an incident on, t- on the tanks we had moved to a different location and then there was some action activity and then like i happened to i was trying to get cover and then i s- fell and then like smacked the other tooth you are clumsy <laughs> and that one was like more of like a situation so like, okay, let me get the cover let me and then, and then, so like, there's a hole in the top of the tank, in the turret. Oh my gosh. I up into, and it was at night. And then, so I went to brace myself and then I just went right in the hole and my tooth smacked. And then, so. Well, I guess better your tooth than your life. So oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. It was just teeth. And like, so that one. Like, oh my gosh. There were teeth. I kept, I have them somewhere. The last 19 years, <laughs> I've had these with these teeth. I, I, they're not even fixed yet. Oh, oh really? All these years I've yeah. done, I never knew those were fake teeth. <laughs> yeah, no. that part is good. This I went to several different. So I joined in that, the whole story. I joined the National Guard to, for the dental. 
because I they were supposed to get it done. Something happened. So I was like, let me join the National Guard. And then I'm in this place. Let me get some people around where I feel familiar, a brotherhood. But the National Guard right. at that time was way different. I was traveling. I live in Myrtle Beach. And if you go 20 minutes outside of the beach, it's just super country, rural, southern folks. And there's pockets of black, pockets of white, and some Mexican. Mm-hmm. I went to this place. It was like, uh, I don't even know what podunk means. or what, what, <laughs> That's the word that came to mind. I was like, oh, my God. Like, so, it, so I took pride in my uniform. My uniform was, like, really nice and sharp. And then so, like, and, I, and the stances. And I, I was the guide on bear, like, in the front with the flag. So, like, I had mm-hmm. to just crispy. And then so I got to this unit. These guys had belts from home, which is, like, a super violation. There's a military mm-hmm. issue. You don't wear anything, but if you wear the uniform, you, it, it better be standardized and right. the issue. These guys had belts with their uniform on. With their uniform from home. They had like just oh, so many violations. They're in the formation, doing dip and drinking beer. I'm like, what in the heck is this? So well, in formation. Like, well, in formation. Like this was incredible. So like, and then so like they saw me and just were like, and you get a combat patch. If you go to, um, so you get one patch, but if you go to combat, it's like a, you wear that with pride. And so no one had a combat patch, but me. Mm-hmm. And I came here, who's this, where are you from? Who are you? You think you're all that because you have the comp, my, my boots were nice and shiny. Everything was, I was trying to make a good first impression. And like, right. okay, like this is, I'm from Fort Hood, Texas. I got this combat patch. This is how I get down. There's a standard. Standard. <laughs> and I was bred to like the guys that, trained me like you got to exceed the standard this is the standard we're gonna be here so I was like, that's my that's my language so i got there and they just they they whew, they put me in the grinder they're like you're not from here boy type stuff the, the good old boys there you go oh wow i got good old boy so i learned that um so that was a huge that, that would never go that culture would never be allowed like in active duty right in this i'm, I'm assuming because they're part-time um, things. I, I, but again, the leadership, whoever's involved, whoever's, whoever's mm-hmm. the leader allows that. So yeah, Interesting. I got, I got, put the grinder. I got, put how'd the you grinder. get through that? And then how long did you have to deal with that? I, wait, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. This is not even this. I did a try one year. It was a, because there was a huge culture difference. Mm-hmm. So then when you, you leave active duty, they allow you to do one year. And then, so at that one year, I was like, no, nah, I can't do it. Actually, I went to Japan. Um, I studied abroad. Like oh, really? And I feel that I even asked them. They were like just so not on, not sharp mentally. Mm-hmm. Or I, don't know, I don't know what the, they were kind of. Pl- I, 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 they were playing the part. And then so I asked them. I was like, oh, "I'm going to study abroad. Is that okay?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had all the paperwork, submitted it, and I left. And they called me at, in Japan. Like, where are you? I'm like. <laughs> I'm studying abroad. <laughs> oh, wow. The files, but like, okay, yeah, you're fine. Um, yeah. So that, that was the first stint. And then the second stint, I was going to be an officer, actually. Right. I went to officer candidate school. And then I dropped out because I tried to, I had to, I had to, I had to figure out, do I want to go to summer school or take officer candidate school? And then I ended up going to a summer school. And they denied my financial aid so I didn't go to summer school which sucked. oh wow <laughs> yeah. 
was tough. Don't you have the GI Bill or? It's that that was a smack in the face too because when I got here, the GI Bill, I had twenty eight thousand or twenty some, roughly thirty thousand dollars for school. So I was paying. I was going to pay out of state tuition. I was like, well, I got GI Bill money, so right. I calculated everything. I have two years and I played sport. I was like, I'm going to walk on by two years. I'm going to have, I'll, I'll be a scholarship player. And then, so I got here, they're like, Oh, you don't have any money. How are you going to pay? I was like, I have the GI bill at the time. The GI bill didn't kick in until after you got enrolled. And then they started paying you after the semester started. Oh, so, which like, is after tuition is due, right? After tuition <laughs> due. I remember the, the advisor was like, we, we have some soul searching to do son. I was like, yeah, you're right. Oh, wow. So I had to get student loans. Yeah. I was like, I just went to war for this money. Now I got to get student loans. But so That's they, crazy. Changed it. Yeah, they changed it now, which is way better. They, they, they pay up front and they give you a stipend. But uh, okay. my, when I was there, it was different. Interesting. Yeah. I guess that can be like a whole nother topic on like, and I think there's even like podcasts and people that do help people who are like coming out, trying to use that GI Bill and getting yeah. the veteran benefits and stuff like that yeah i know that i follow a couple of like um podcasts where they it's military veterans and they talk oh. about different aspects of like like acclimating when you get out of the military and then the unemployment was one of the benefits i was like i'm not getting unemployment i'm, I'm gonna have a job i'm going to school but then i, I we saw uh i went to lot so liza karen um we all met in las vegas mm-hmm. in las vegas and then so we met up once I got back to the States, I think Angel was um, getting baptized. So we went there. And then so just talking to her father, Liza's father was retired. And then Liza's sister's boyfriend was um, the, uh, was a Marine. And he, they were talking about these benefits. So I was like, I was like, no one ever told me these things. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Yeah. Or a even like the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff so just it's, it's nice to have i didn't know there were podcasts about that stuff yeah i'll say i'll i'll forward you some of the ones that i've listened to a few episodes for but um why don't we finish up so why don't you tell me too though um so what kind of advice would you give to your younger self and or what kind of advice would you give to somebody who was maybe in a similar circumstance in the change that you had moving from okinawa to the states I would say, so like, since we talked about just the information, the information is power, knowledge is power. I didn't have any, like those resources, like just even choosing this school, mm-hmm. like me thinking like just the ignorance and just the lack of information. Okay, this is how the GI Bill works. I would have chose differently. And maybe I probably wouldn't have because I'm hard headed, but like being able to understand in depth how the system works because if you don't and you go blindly and that's determination is good, but then you can get yourself in situations where you don't need to be in. Yeah. Um, so I think just being able to, to do the proper research and then if they're, if they're pod, now they have podcasts, um, YouTube, a lot of digital resources you have. So I, I would say just do your resources or do your research, get some resources. If you can find a mentor, uh, mentors are, are just invaluable. Um, but if worse comes to worse, pray about it. Just pray. <laughs> Just pray. <laughs> I did though. I did though. That's good advice. But I mean, hey, I, I think I think I think mentorship. Mentorship, if you can find a mentor, that's probably the uh, the biggest hat you can have. 
is uh, mentorship. Yeah. Then what kind of advice would you give maybe um, like a kid switching from like getting out of the military yeah. or like getting out of that military community, how you made that drastic move from Okinawa to North Carolina and maybe anybody who's either like worried about that or struggling with those changes who are mixed race, like you were multifacial, what kind of yeah. advice would you give them? Man. I guess it depends on what age, but I mean, it just, Try to figure out who you are, like, and just, just, just know who you are, like, who your parents are. I know you have some family traditions, and just don't change those. If you, if you, some people try to pressure you to fitting into a mold, don't, don't succumb to that. And it's just be bold and be confident in who you are. Things are gonna be tough depending on what part of the state you're in, and mm -hmm. hopefully you can find some. Just, I, I also, find, I guess, find your tribe. Your tribe is a, that's a key term now but like you can find a community i'm sure online they have a lot of resources like there's a blazing couple blazing networks i don't i'm not really active but i just see them like okay i'm in them um just to have and find just find your tribe i guess if you don't if your family is not that then hopefully you can find some friends but find your tribe be true to yourself yeah there's always people out there who are i mean that you're gonna have something in common with that there's to go to for support, whether it's family, friends, or even, yeah, strangers that you meet on a Facebook group. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I agree. Well, that's great advice. But thank you, Co, again, for being oh, on here you. again. <laughs> so I think this will come out after you guys' <laughs> group, that fun group. <laughs> that I, didn't that that. I haven't watched it back yet, but Karen said it was nice. It was, it was adorable, I think she said. <laughs> I know Liza crying. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had fun. It was, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a classic. A couple of classic moments in there. That was definitely a classic moment. It was great. So, but thank you again right. for doing this and re-recording this for me. My pleasure. <laughs>